Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Right Mentor. If you're a children's writer, you've probably heard of Right Mentor. And if not, do I have a treat for you. Right Mentor is a group of authors and friends who've built a supportive system for fellow storytellers from picture books up to young adult that delivers mentoring programs, courses and conferences and much, much more. Right Mentor has a range of services, but if you stick around until the end of the episode, you can find out how to get an entire month of their premium subscription, the Right Mentor Hub, for free. So I will see you at the end. Now, let's get back to the episode. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So are these your notes? These, <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say? Uh, anything is the short answer. <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my prior? God, so many. <laughs> it was perfect. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. <laughs> this is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. Yeah. <laughs> you better hear first. We're going <laughs> to... Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Today I'm very excited to be collaborating with the Romantic Novelists Association once again uh, in interviewing all of the nominees for their annual Agent of the Year award. And uh, on this episode, I'm joined by literary agent, author, editor, producer, mother and founder of the Liverpool Literary Agency, the one and only Claire Coombs. Hi, Claire. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's lovely to be on here. I am almost out of breath listing all of the things that you do. Um, <laughs> but let's start off with um, congratulations on being nominated as one of the RNA's Agents of the Year. Yeah, it was, um, obviously I've only been in agenting and in the publishing industry at all for two years. So it's just two years. So I just was so surprised um, and obviously really honoured because looking at the other agents on the list, I was like, wow. Um, you know, it to be in very good company. And I looked through and I thought, actually, you know, I am representing, um, well, there's eight books, eight romance books, romance themes, and four romance authors. So I thought, you know, I've always been drawn to romance. Um, I love everything about the genre. It kind of started me reading. So yeah, um, it's, it's just been a real honor and a bit of a, a journey to think that, um, when I started looking at, and I'm very honest about this, when I was looking into being an agent, my first step was Googling, what does an agent do? Um, so, because I didn't come from any sort of background where publishing and agenting was talked about. It was never mentioned as a career. Uh, it was, you know, it's, I'm nearly 40 now and it's kind of taken me this long, even though I did English literature at university and I've always read, to think that I could go towards a career in agenting. And it was... To do with um, when I was thinking about it, there was something called the Common People Report that came out. And um, I don't know if listeners would be aware of that. That was a report that looked at how publishing and agenting needed to be more diverse and regional and how the barriers for authors were often, you know, socio and economic. So there was like a lack of um, confidence and a lack of networks. And then obviously, you know, money, because I, 
couldn't have afforded to go and do a free internship when I finished yeah. uni or anything like that. So, and, and I think things are changing. And then Harper North launched, and um, since then, Hachette have, have um, like launched offices around the north and more regional. And I've just seen that gave me the confidence to think, you know, I'm going to give this a go. I've worked in PR and marketing for years. I've edited for authors. I've, I discovered there was, and I, you know, I kind of knew this from pitching myself out as well. There was no literary agency in Liverpool. So I thought, you know, I'm going to see what I can do. And it's just been a, an amazing journey, really, when I am just looking at the the list of authors and how I have been able to represent one of my favourite genres of romance. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you're you're totally right because it's there's so many factors which have sort of restricted people from being getting it getting into publishing, but one of them is just largely that uh, in the UK at least publishing essentially historically has always just happened in London and there wasn't much option to do publishing outside of London. Yeah, it's um, I, as I say, there are more sorts of things happening now, but when I first started, yeah. it was I couldn't have done this probably. 10 years ago maybe even five years ago I think that actually being in a pandemic and a lot more people doing things virtually helped me because I can't afford to go down to London regularly yeah everything happens on zoom so um meeting authors meeting commissioning editors uh closing the deals is all sorts of happening across zoom or teams or DocuSign and I just that that technology advancement and also Video technology was obviously there, but it felt like until uh, COVID, nobody really used it. We used it, but, you know, it was more like have to meet in person before we close this deal. And I just could I mean, you've seen my list of things I've got to do. I've got two young kids as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, it's time and money for me going down to London. So it was very much like, okay, it's becoming more of a virtual world. And I have some great conversations one-on-one with commission editors and form some really strong relationships. and. When I first launched and um, put a, a press release into the bookseller, a lot of commissioning editors from all different genres, including romance, got in touch and booked meetings with me so that, you know, and just gave me tips. And it was just fantastic. I thought, oh, I, I didn't expect this. I'd always kind of thought publishing was a lot more closed off, but actually people are there to support you. And now people are getting in touch with me about um becoming agents regional agents themselves or steps into agenting and I do talks in schools and I really think that that's like been an amazing step in terms of romance as well I'm always pushing and I was doing this when I was doing my master's I'm always pushing about that sort of um perception of romance do you know the way that people I I think there was an advert recently and I can't remember what the company was and maybe I'm not meant to say but it was something to do I'm too young for rocking chairs and romance novels Mm -hmm. and everyone was just kind of like what what do you mean by that because it is and and sometimes I read things in books where it goes oh somebody was just reading a trashy romance book and I just think oh you know there's so much to romance and and there's so many different like deaths to it and it's actually like such a popular genre that my role as an agent is also to push it as a genre to be taken seriously yeah yeah I, and I think that you see that across other genres as well because I mean for the longest mm-hmm. time fantasy was seen as fantasy used to be just lumped in with children's because yes. it was not seen as like a serious genre and then it's taken this sort of movement of people like George R. R. Martin and stuff to really kind of make it 
very serious and dark for people to take that seriously as a genre. And yeah, I think romance gets such a bad rep a lot of the time by people saying it's sort of, oh, it's very kind of lowbrow kind of thing, but it's, but it's not at all. Like there's so many complexities and nuances in, in the range of romance is so enormous, you know? Yeah, I know. And sometimes it's categorized in, in different areas. Like when I look at um, some of the authors, I really love like Jojo Moyes and obviously Marion Keys and so even Sophie Kinsella and Jenny Colgan, they can all be sort of branded under general or literary or women's. Um, so I really loved Small Pleasures by Claire Chambers and that has romance in it and that was under literary fiction. So I think that a lot of the time there'll be romance in books that are put under other categories as well. Yeah. And then people don't realise that they are reading a book that has um, romantic themes in because I love a romantic comedy um, and I love representing them. But sometimes I think people just think, oh, it's a rom- if it's not a romantic comedy, then it's not romance. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and they think it's easy to write as well when it's, you know, writing no. <laughs> comedy is like, you know, my um, my authors are all really skilled and Danielle Owen Jones who writes the romantic comedies um, and then, you know, she's just fantastic at just making these sort of laugh out loud romantic comedies and it's so skilled and yeah. I definitely couldn't do it. And then we have uh, Rachel Bowler who's just launched Honeymoon for One which is like a, a, a gorgeous LGBTQ plus romance. And that has some hilarious moments in it as well. And I just think it's really hard to to get your romance and your comedy together. So yeah. it's something that really should be standout and celebrated for its skill. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Weaving any kind of genres together is always a very, very tricky thing. To, I think just writing a genre by itself is very tricky to do because you have to you have to know the market to the point where you need to be ticking the boxes that people looking for that genre want, but at the same time, you need to be subverting it enough that they're not reading the same thing over and over again. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's the the part of an agent as well. And, and either when authors are coming to us and submitting their work or when we're going then to commissioning editors at publishing houses, it's always about who would read it because what has it got in it that would attract readers? And then why does it stand out? So it's always that contradiction in terms that is necessary. It's it's got to have something different, like um, Beth O'Leary's flat chair when it yeah. um, when it had the um, you know the characters that shared the bed, and that was just brilliant and just did something a bit new, and but you know had those sort of romantic comedy mm. troops in it. That, you know, so it kind of had that like wow, I didn't think that would work as a story. People sharing the same bed, but it was just brilliant. <laughs> so it's it's really good to see. Um, how these things can sort of stand out and still have those, um, you know, what readers like to see yes, in exactly. particular genres. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's redirect this a little bit back onto you because you quite modestly said that you'd only just started agenting and that you Googled what an agent was, <laughs> but you do have two books out. Uh, you have uh, definitions and we are dust. So you do you, with those books, did you have an agent for those? Did you traditionally publish those? No. Well, you see, this is what I've, I use as my experience. So the first one was with a small publisher and I didn't go out for, I didn't think I even tried to get an agent. Oh, okay. um, and I feel like I've learned, I just didn't know where to start. I had no idea. It was eight years ago mm-hmm. when I was like, when I got the deal. And then um, with We Are of Dust, I published that through my own company because um I tried one agent, but I was very naive. So um, a writer recommended 
an agent, but I didn't do my research. You know, I didn't know that they didn't look at young adult themes. I didn't finish the manuscript. I hadn't had beta readers. I hadn't really gone into the depth that you need and I hadn't really put the submission together properly. And they were really nice and they just came back and gave me some feedback, but just said, this isn't for us. And then when I I did have romance themes in it, um, because I do love sagas and historical fiction that has romance in because I've just I've just signed a writer whose whose deal is going to be announced with Boldwood Books next week, and she's writing um, World War Two fiction with romance, and that's going to be incredible. So I'd, I'd done that, you know, sort of I'd learned from that, but I just feel like I can teach people from my mistakes rather than my, just my success. So my mistakes in trying to go for an agent and how much I didn't know, um, and then maybe that came from not really seeing agents or publishing. I, I, I just read, read books. I didn't know anything about the industry. I didn't know anyone in the industry. So I feel like, yeah, I, I, I did get some money to um, develop We Are of Dust into a TV series and we got some funding from the Liverpool Film Office. So we did a bit oh, with cool. that in terms of putting the um, the sort of overview together and the episode guide, but it kind of stalled with, with COVID. So it, it's still sort of there, but I'd need to go for the next stage of funding. But you know, I felt like I did learn so much that can help other writers. Um, and I, yeah, and I also have spoke to authors who really um, supported me, who've who had agents as well. So it wasn't just it wasn't just Google and an agent. There was an, uh, a writer called Caroline Corcoran. Um, if I'm pronouncing the surname right, because I <laughs> always do this with people's surnames. So um, she had an agent and she's a successful psychological thriller writer. And um, I was talking to her. She's She was in London, but now she's based in the Wirral. And she just talked me through a little bit about what her agent, you know, what, it, what involved having an agent. And then I still had that imposter syndrome. So I was very much... Um, I'll be an agent's agent. I'll find um, agents for people and I'll find authors for agents. And she just said to me, Caroline said, just be an agent. And I was like, okay, because it's not really something that you, you have to set up and pay for your website. You have to um, pay to be a member of the Association of Authors Agents. I'm trying to get that acronym the right way around um, because it's AAA. um, Okay. And then, you know, like I I work from home. I've got an office at home. So it was things like that really. What There's not that much that it cost me. um, So it was okay to sort of think, all right, I can set this up and I don't have to pay rent. I don't have to take too many risks. And I think I want to let people know that as well, that, you know, there are outlying costs that you need, but it's not going to be what you think and you can spread it out over a year in most cases. So um, you don't have to dive right in and, and you know, use up savings. And also that I still have a, I still have a job alongside this. So part-time I work in communications and um, I also do some freelance editing. So again, if people are worried about taking that step into it, you can, you will have time to sort of do some other work as well. And you will need to, because most agents, I think, um, were saying that it took maybe five years for them to to feel like they, they could just do agenting full time. A lot of agents start with different jobs alongside agenting. Um, what we're doing with the um, Association of Authors Agents at the moment is, I'm in a equality, diversity and inclusion group and we're relaunching the website so that we've got clear guides onto 
route into agenting, what being an agent involves, and you know, just talking heads about people who've come from different backgrounds and got into agenting. So I think that's going to be really useful for people as yeah, well. Sounds great. Yeah. So talking about that specifically, you you, you mentioned that. This is, it sounds like it's kind of what inspired you to create the agency was largely your own experience of not really knowing what the industry was or how it worked, which is very similar to why I started this podcast oh, yeah. uh, with definitions and, and we are of dust. And, and then you, you, how did you learn to, to, you know, do the role and, and, and figure out all the different steps along the way? It was learning on the job and <laughs> using sort of, um, the, you know, the, so when the pe- people contacted me and they gave me advice and tips and then agents like Julia Pickering were just brilliant at saying, you know, if you need any help, uh, give us a call. And um, another agent, Sam Copeland, is really good. And there's a few others, but I'm not sure if it's more informal mentoring for everyone. So, um, yeah, yeah, it, it's just been like I just learned as I went. So also um, I would kind of commissioning editors were also so lovely as well so they'd be like well this is what this term means and you know this is kind of what we'd like to do with the book and I got used to sort of making notes on uh, your typical royalty terms and your rights and then I partnered with um, a company for translation rights called the Marsh Agency and Gemma come from quite a similar background um, Gemma McDonough so I had somebody to look after translation rights and then I had I partnered with uh, Mark Simonson from Solar Sun to do our TV rights. And that was very much uh, like I felt like those two things were looked after. So um, I think a lot of new agents do have like um, partners that they work for for translation rights and TV film. And we have like a massive um, like presence of TV film up in Liverpool, you know, because there's so much filming that goes on all the time Mm -hmm. that I am in regular contact with. Um, a lot of sort of film TV companies up here so I, I can provide that link and and then talk to our um, TV partner Mark as well so I just feel like to take the workload off and, and other people's expertise are there to help me and once you've kind of got it cracked with you know I, I did have experience in PR I was and marketing I was always pitching to like um, national newspapers and online forums and things and I was always pitching stories so I used to do a lot of sports science and astrophysics and I thought well if I can do that and then <laughs> like you know the complications of astrophysics and science and learn how to to pitch that then I can put together submission packages for authors and you know the, the elevator pitch and the blurb and how to write a synopsis and those sorts of things so that I knew how to approach publishers and also like I've always researched because um Working in a university, it was very important to research your stories. So I'm constantly like, you know, reading the bookseller and and trade press and looking at what commission editors like. And I have a spreadsheet where I have like everyone's names and where they are and what genres they like to see. So I think if you thoroughly do your research and that is what, you know, can get you forward in an agenting career not necessarily the experience, but the, the experience as you grow, but the research. Yeah. And I mean, publishing is evolving rapidly with the sort of new age, things like book talk and, and like eBooks are so big now. Yeah. eBooks like are that, like so. brilliant though, because I feel like digital first imprints do give a lot of debut authors a chance and mine are all debuts. Yeah. 
So it feels like um, publishers will probably take more of a chance um, now that we have, you know, the, the book streams. And I'm still getting my head around BookTok. And I know it's really, I know it's really important for the romance genre as well, because obviously Colleen Hoover has done so well with BookTok mm-hmm. and her yeah. books are brilliant. But yeah, and a couple of my authors have, have been trying out BookTok. So I, yeah, I will get into that. <laughs> but uh, I mean, social media is um, a fantastic way to connect with publishers, connect authors together, um, find out what's going on in different genres, you know, what people are talking about. So I feel like, yeah, I feel like the technology advancements have, have been great for debut authors. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Yeah, I mean, social media really gives uh, a platform to, to literally anyone. So like if you are self-publishing or traditional publishing, you have a platform which you are with some hard work, going to be able to reach lots of people with. Yeah, exactly. And I, I feel like um, like Danielle Owen-Jones, who who I've, I represent two of her books, um, who are both with Book Couture, and I feel like she's brilliant at social media, so she connects with a lot of people. And her books have been sort of just storming up the charts, even though uh, they've been out for oh, like earlier in the year they're still yeah. sort of doing really well and going up and down bestseller lists because I think she connects so well on social media. And, yeah, um, that's great. Yeah, it's such a powerful tool. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people really connect with her. Um, yeah. and then also the publishers can take advantage of things like, you know, Kindle and prime. And there's a lot of combinations that people can use for marketing to engage readers with a new writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. True. I'd love to talk more about the, the, the agency itself. And it's, it's not just you, right? You have a, a team there working with you. Um, it, it's kind of me and Laura um, because okay. um, my co-founder, Matthew, he does a lot more sort of on the editing side. So he works more with, you know, he's not involved in the agenting. He's more like, well, help me out with some of the editing and also work with anyone who wants to self-publish or nonfiction, things like that, um, mm-hmm, or magazine mm-hmm. work. Laura... Um, is come in as an associate agent and works in the field of fantasy and sci-fi and she just is brilliant she knows those genres so well and then we have people who um we offer experience to in terms of um if they want to read um submissions and feedback and then they can have that on the cv and i will find them paid work like one-to-ones and editing and things like that so it's kind of more people who support us i know from looking at our website we, we don't have like staff on payroll or anything we're not at that level but we do find work for people and, and have them as freelancers and then give them the experience they need because it's it's very competitive to get experience in the publishing industry yeah. now wow yeah. and anna who um looks at children's and, and ya for us as well so um she's kind of closed for submissions at the moment but um she would normally look at that sort of younger age range because that's what I've learned as well. You can't take on everything. So I'm yeah. trying to give local um, people experience that they need and then um, find them opportunities in publishing or as we grow when we're able to take people on. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's at the, great. Yeah, at the moment it's very much commission-based for me and Laura. Um, 
so you know just being very honest about it because there's no point telling people that you know we're kind of like paying salaries and things when we can't do that yet because it's unrealistic yeah 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 yeah. am i right in thinking that the your your the agency as a whole is is closed to submissions right now yeah only till january um okay just because there were so many coming in and we thought right (laughs) you know every so often we have to take like a break from it and go through the ones that have come in or it'll be unfair yeah so yeah just just i think we've put a a notice on to say it's um gonna open again in january so we do an auto reply um and it's it's on there all the time and and this just updates on submissions where we give people guidance so because we can't reply to every submission personally and i know that's a thing that a lot of authors can kind of you know go why didn't i get any feedback but in our also reply we talk about reasons why it might not be right for us in general terms and then we point people towards things that they could do so we say if we're closed at the moment then make sure you've engaged enough beta readers don't send a first draft make sure it's not about expensive writing courses but what have you done to connect with other writers because that really helps don't make sure your agent isn't the first person to see that work um and then sort of um, if we ever request a full manuscript even if it's not right for us in the end or we're not right for it we always give feedback on that but it would be impossible to give feedback to individually to everyone so our also reply is very detailed yeah oh, okay okay so january 2023 yeah you're opening up again yeah and probably just um i haven't set a date yet because i'm aware that after christmas you're never quite sure on that first week after yeah. <laughs> after christmas <laughs> so it would probably be towards the end of january but um yeah if anyone's thinking now of, of submitting there are still chances to get more beta readers on it Um, i can't push that enough really i, I think that a lot of writers i know have found their beta readers on social media um, yeah. or of joining different writing organizations and, and found communities because I think if you if you just pass your book to like a friend or family member you're not really going to get that sort of understanding yeah. and critique because <laughs> um, writing is development isn't it you know you can be a totally different writer I, I definitely am now although if I ever have a chance to write a book again because I would love to <laughs> but yeah <laughs> okay so so submissions at uh the liverpool literary agency you you only accept submissions from writers born or living in the north of england yeah we have had to close that off because um as i say there are a lot of a lot of people who submit but if we do things through um i am in print and jericho writers so if we do one-to-one sessions or talks um or workshops with those places then we'll say to people who attended our specific workshops or one-to-ones that they can then submit because it wouldn't be fair otherwise yeah and I have found a couple of authors um through that who you know aren't from the north but will come from the diverse backgrounds that we're trying to represent so you know if they come from working class writers of color uh, disability lgbtq plus so you know we, we do keep on the trying to get underrepresented writers but sometimes through those writing organizations they might come from other places Okay. Okay. Great. Um, and you represent all genres except for nonfiction and children's and YA, but there's a yeah. caveat. Was there a caveat on YA? You do some YA? Yeah. Well, you see Laura, um, with the fantasy and sci-fi genre does look at YA, um, that okay. fits, fits into those genres. Um, and then Anna, when she opens again is kind of looking at the younger, the more middle grade, um, well, I found that YA is just like its particular skill 
and genre. So, and I found that that would, you know, obviously Laura's fantastic with the sci-fi and fantasy, but I'm not so much so. So, like, you know, I love a romance, a crime thriller, historical fiction, literary, contemporary. So I read all of those. Um, And as I always say to writers, if you, you know, you should be reading in the genre that you're writing. So I feel like I'm reading in the genre that I'm representing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. It's always just, I mean, from a marketing point of view, like it just, you need to know what's happening in the rest of the market for the thing that you're trying to put out. And you know, it's nice because like part of my relaxing time is to read things, you know, reading submissions and making notes. Um, I have a lot on my phone. So if, you know, people's uh, manuscripts downloaded to my phone and I'm making notes, which I find is a great system because I can just get that done anywhere when the kids are swimming, when they've got activities on, um, yeah. waiting in the schoolyards. I can be reading a manuscript and making notes. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I just feel like it's, um, you know, I'll go, I'll go, oh, I'll have a little break now and I'll just read, you know, I'll read, an, I'll read a book that's, that's out there at the moment. And that's my yeah. break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. That's nice. That's nice though. So, um, going a bit deep on the submissions here, I always like to ask agents this cause it's, it's interesting and also very useful for people wanting to, uh, submit, uh, to you or, or maybe other agents just to kind of learn a thing or two when you, and the submissions at y- your agency are, it, it's the industry standard cover letter synopsis, first three chapters. Yeah. Yeah. When you open up a submission, what order do you go through each part and, and what are you looking for within them? Um, I'll read the query letter first and I can quite often tell from that um, whether I want to read on because I love to see that the um, the writer knows about their genre. So that could be in, in terms of comparable titles, how they put together an elevator pitch or a blurb. That I also want to see that they have have you know some sort of like if they're in a writing group or if they've done a course or I don't mean expensive courses again I just mean like what have they done to learn to write how have they honed their craft because I think a lot of people outside the writing industry just assume that you know it's it's an inherent talent and you just write but it's a skill and you have to have that mix of learning and talent so I like to see what people have done um and I like people to sort of uh, have done a little bit of research into us as well so that you feel like they haven't just randomly, you know, blanket email. Um, yeah. Obviously, mm-hmm. we're aware that the the blurb and things are going to be copied and pasted, but I'd like to see at the top that they've taken the time to look into our books and why we would be a good fit for them. So I will read, and if I really like the sound of that, then I will read the opening chapters. I'll try to hold off on the synopsis so I can be surprised by the book. But sometimes... For, for time's sake, I might say, okay, um, the you know the the three chapters are great, but can this sustain? And then I'll read the synopsis. Um, but I don't want people to put any spoilers in the query letter, in okay, case I yeah, take yeah. the route of, of reading the whole thing first. And the reason I do want authors to put together a good synopsis is because if I do need to check if I think it can sustain, um, if after I've read the full manuscript, um we're going to go, you know, I'm going to sign and go out on submission. That synopsis is going to be really important for commissioning editors to take to an acquisitions meeting. Saying this, didn't know what an acquisitions meeting was this time two years ago. So, you know, learning curve. So they will be going to sales and and, um, marketing and PR and saying, here's this book, here's the elevator pitch, um, here's the blurb. And 
here's why it'll work. So I feel like the synopsis is that sort of top level thing for you know other people in the company who won't have time to read it, um, but want to see how the stories if the story's going to work. And it's part of the commissioning editor's pitch, just as much as me knowing that I can send something out to someone. Um, and then, you know, once they've read it, if they're excited by it, then they have like basically like a bullet points of things, important things that happen in the book. Yeah. Okay. 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 And uh, for um, for writers and authors thinking about submitting or, or querying now or waiting for your subs to reopen in January, what advice would you give them uh, in terms of putting their submission package together? I would say know what's selling. Um, you know, you should be reading your genre anyway, but know what's what's happening in your genre. So yeah. you could, you know, you could go into Waterstones, you can go on Amazon, you can um, you can kind of just be like, okay, what and comparable titles, as I say, it, it's like you, you're just looking at similarities, maybe themes. Um, maybe style, maybe point of view. And it's just good to, that I can see that you're reading well in your genre, but you've got like a recent insight. So I feel like do that, do research your genre. And then um, make sure you've got a really good blurb that's um, in your query letter that's a bit like a back of the book blurb. So I say to people, if you, whatever genre you, you, you're writing, go and look at back of the book blurbs in that genre and, and use them as a template to get ideas so you can put together a really good catchy blurb and you know because I love to see that and um in the query letter and then if you kind of just have don't do an early draft make sure you've done edits on it and that also other people who are writers have seen it and commented Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah yeah definitely good to get some feedback on your work before you put it out because you only I mean whilst I mean, how do you feel about people resubmitting uh, something to you? I mean, you've only been in this for a few years now, so I imagine it hasn't happened that often. But. Um, no, I mean, if it's a different book, then yeah, but not really, unless I've requested a, re- a revise and resubmit myself. So there have been cases where I've liked a book with the certain elements that I thought, well, my edit- this is my editorial vision, and I list the things that I see working for the book, and if the writer agrees, then they can have a revise and resubmit um but I don't really want writers to submit the same thing again you know yeah. as I say we can't do the individual feedback mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's only if we've done a full manuscript request if yeah. people have got a different book then they can you know submit a different book um that's fine but yeah my revise and resubmit are very much if I've read the full thing and then I get back and say to the writer this is your choice but this is my editorial vision um yeah I mean, even more, even more uh, sort of reason to make sure you get feedback on that first draft because exactly. you can only make that first impression once. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those where it's like, if it looks like it's going to be a lot of work um, and the person should probably, would probably have got that feedback from visa readers, then that is probably going to stop me because it'll make me think, oh, you know, they should have really gone and got that um, feedback because it would have been yeah. consistent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's really good advice uh, all around for, for anyone thinking about querying soon. And that brings us on to the final question, which is, as always, Claire, if you were stranded on a desert <laughs> island with a single book, which book would it be? Well, do you know, this took me a while because um, <laughs> there was so many that I would love, but who mm-hmm. started my love of the romance genre is Marion Keyes. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. in the 90s that Rachel's Holiday came out. 
And I remember thinking, wow, you know, we're going into um, real depth here with addiction and it's set in, in a rehab clinic. And I was just like blown away by, um, you know, the, the sort of bracketed under like women's fiction, but with the romance elements. And then when, again, Rachel's come out this year, I would take again Rachel with me because it feels like I've got Rachel's holiday and <laughs> and the update on what happened to Rachel and the Walsh family yeah. who I've loved for years. So I would I would take again Rachel by Marion Keyes. <laughs> that's brilliant. Uh, I love that something that's been with you for a long time. Yeah, it's mad. I just think that it's like nearly you know, thirty years it'd be coming up to, and <laughs> yeah. and those books that I used to take off. Um, my mum had so many books, and I'd just take the books down off the bookshelf and. There was so much variety of genre and, and she was Irish. And I always thought Marion Keyes taught me that you can write in your accent and you can write where you're from. And I loved that as well. That's great. No, I love that. That's that's a really, really wonderful choice. Well, thank you so much, Claire, for coming on the podcast and telling us all about your writing and your and your career as an agent. And, and congratulations and good luck with oh. the RNA's Agent of the Year Award. Thank you. And we really love to see submissions from people when we open again in January. So just keep an eye on our website and social media. Yes. And to keep up with those social medias on twitter you can follow the agency at liverpool lit or on instagram it's at liverpool underscore literary underscore agency to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast follow us on twitter at right and wrong uk or on instagram and tiktok at right and wrong podcast thanks again to claire and thanks to everyone listening we'll catch you in the next episode pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.